Hi, welcome to Starting Out Horsham. I'm Emma. And I'm Anna. And lately we have covered some pretty serious topics, but we felt that it was time to do something a bit lighter. Yeah, we wanted to focus on something that we both enjoy. Um, and I think it's fair to say um, one of the things we do enjoy is socialising over a nice glass of wine, having good food and drinks with friends and family. Mm-hmm. And that's also an area that you have written about quite a lot over the years. Yeah, that's right. Food and drink is something I've covered in my career. And I've been fortunate to speak to lots of food and drink experts for articles I've written in the past. I love finding out about this area. So I'm really pleased that we're here today speaking to Luke Smith of Horsham Cellar. And Luke is a font of all knowledge in alcoholic beverages. <laughs> Hi, Luke. Hi, welcome to Sounding Out Horsham. Thank you. How long have you been around with your shop? Um, so we have just had our third birthday. Um, we started 1st of September 2018 at the Big Nibble event in Horsham. Um, it's fantastic to be three years old now. They say the first three years of a new business is the hardest and it's been hard but very rewarding. Um, and I'd love to start by saying thank you for the um, huge amount of support we've had from Horsham district residents. They're very loyal. And how? tell us a bit about your background. How long have you worked with drinks? Uh, I've been in the wine trade specifically for about 13 years now. Um, I was a geologist before I worked in wine. Winemakers love talking about soil, so there's a link. Um, but I started back in 2008 with an importer based in East Grinstead. Um, I, sp- I speak reasonable Spanish and they were looking for somebody to help the Latin American and Spanish buying team, bringing in wines for our customers, mainly the supermarkets. I worked my way up through the through the buying team there and was very lucky to be able to travel all over Spain and South America in that time. And then as, as things progressed, I also got to look after Australia and New Zealand, um, Portugal, South Africa, California, and was very lucky to visit those amazing areas as well. Uh, that led me on to working with Night Timber, English sparkling wine producer, famous, um, rightly famous. We're producing some of the best sparkling wine in the world in this country. And then that moved me over to a big French company based in France, um, really got under the skin of French wines there. But I'd say for that entire time I was in sales, um, I kind of always had this dream of doing my own thing. Uh, My wife and I looked at it probably in 2015, didn't have the courage, chickened out. (laughs) But in 2018 this unit here in Carfax came up, but we spent a good couple of months um, returning it into its Victorian glory. So was there something in particular that happened that made you decide that you wanted to go into wine and actually start your own business? I always loved wine um, and my interests haven't really changed. I just used used to be a professional rock collector who collected wine in my spare time and now it's just the other way around. So, um, But I, I was always interested in wine and the job as a geologist was changing. I was spent more time writing long reports and less time out in the field, which wasn't what I was interested in. What is it that is so fascinating about wine if you compare it with other, we're going to talk about other beverages as well because in your shop you sell beer and spirits and everything, but wine, there's something almost mythical about wine. There is, it's a very romantic category, um, but I I think also because you see it from start to finish. Wine growers are essentially farmers, they have to farm their vineyard, they farm their grapes, um, and they have to look after the, the vineyard every single day of the year, and then the fruit of that labour, the produce is obviously has to go through a varying number of stages depending on what you're making and it's a, it's a labour of love, it really is. Um, very few people go into, into winemaking to actually make money, particularly across Europe it's kind of handed down, the passion's handed down through families. Um, there obviously are big industrial scale producers out there but it's, it's a romantic thing. Um, the category is vast as well, there's a million different styles of wine, it's different grape varieties, different regions in the world you can find it. Um, and so it kind of makes it a really easy thing to 
to get into. Um, it can make it scary as a consumer if you're confronted with a wall of wine and you've no idea what any of it tastes like, and why would you? So how do you approach it then if a customer comes in and says, I want some wine? How do you find out what they like? What's, what's your approach? Just have a chat with them about the sort of things they like. And we have people from all ends of the spectrum coming in, some who really don't know what style they like, which is great. We've got a sampling machine in the shop, so we can always taste a few things and see if there are things you do or don't like. People's briefs range from literally not knowing what colour they even want to buy to those who are adventurous consumers and have tried lots of styles in different settings so and, and everyone else in between and I love talking to everyone whatever their sort of experience in wine is um, and that's the key thing is not not to be scared and come in and ask because we are very friendly and, and the trade is very friendly as well so I tend to start by asking what sort of thing people like you know if it's red wine do they like big bold um, strong flavours full, full bodied styles say um, do they like dark fruits or do they like light, summery, chillable red fruits? If it's white wine, do they like crisp, zesty, citrusy flavours, say? Or big, buttery, peachy flavours? Um, if it's sparkling, do they like dry or hint of sweetness? Same with rosé. Um, you can quite quickly narrow down your sort of your preferences, but then from there you can then widen the search through similar styles from different countries and that sort of thing. So it's a fun journey. So wine for dummies a little bit, but <laughs> is there a basic set of facts that you should know about different grapes or about different regions. Uh, if you were to give someone just like a wine for dummy course, what would you teach them? Um, the only thing you need to know to start with is what you like. There's certainly no set of facts you need to know. Um, wine is fun, it should be fun. Um, I think the grape variety thing is a useful parameter because you know Cabernet Sauvignon in France has some similarities with the Cabernet Sauvignon in Chile, for example. Not always, but um, Broadly, you'll start to understand what you might expect from that grape variety, for example. But I'd say there's absolutely no need to know anything apart from what sort of flavours you like. And your knowledge will build the more you taste. So there's no rush or race to learn anything, really. It should just make it fun. Do you have to have a very trained palate and a very trained nose to really be able to appreciate wine? Or is it something, would you say, that anybody can enjoy at the same level? Yeah, you can You can train your palate. But it's um, it's mostly about memory. I mean, wine's always made from grapes, but a white wine can smell of bananas, for example. It can smell of peaches or um, lemons or limes or lychees. Um, they've never been anywhere near a lychee, but you, different grape varieties have different characters, and it, it's um, it's what that experience does for you. You know, which, which memory does it spark off for you? You might have a, a Spanish red that reminds you of a holiday you had, and that's quite powerful. It's quite emotional. Never tastes quite the same, though, does no. it, when you bring it <laughs> no. back? But yeah, it's quite interesting. I think taste change as well. I don't know. I guess that's why it's good to have those conversations about it, like you say, kind of just come in with an open mind, really. 100%. Yeah. One, the one thing I was interested in knowing was obviously you can buy wine anywhere, you can get it in your corner shop, um, the supermarkets. What sets you apart? The, the main, uh, two main reasons for visiting. An independent specialist. I think this is probably across the board whether you're buying meat, the butcher versus the supermarket, fish, the fishmongers versus the supermarket, the grocers for veggies. Um, it's you won't find a bad bottle of wine anymore these days, but you'll never find anything interesting. And out of maybe 600 wines in the supermarket, even though they're labelled with different grape varieties from different countries, different regions, you get a lot of sameness. A lot of a lot of wines do taste the same. They're kind of almost made to a recipe. The bigger producers have to be more industrially focused there's more chemicals used um, mm. to keep things stable you'll struggle to find any advice as well and when you arrive at the supermarket you're kind of 
confronted with a wall of wine um, and it is daunting and you end up buying by offer. 70% of wine in the UK through supermarkets is sold under offer. Every single one, pretty much 90% of wines have an offer cycle. So that leads into the first main reason to visit an independent is we tend to price things at the correct price all year. So you'll never be stung. You know, you might want to treat yourself to a bottle of wine on a Saturday night and you might want to spend £15. But if you buy one in the supermarket, at £15, it could be one of those wines that's destined to be seven fifty mm. the following week. Yeah. And it's impossible to know um, mm. as a consumer. You, you won't get that in an independent. We all tend to operate on the correct price all year. So you, you always know you're going to get the right value, which is a good start. And we, as independents, we tend to work with much smaller family-owned producers who use less chemicals, a lot more handmade uh, wines. And you, you just get, you get more character, more flavour more flavours typical of that region or that grape variety and you can really start to notice the difference so if I pop a Rioja next to a, a Duro Red in front of you they'd be as they should be you know from that region from the supermarket they might they'll both be nice, well made wines but they won't have those characters or flavours um, price point wise I think the average price per bottle sold through supermarkets is still under £6 in the UK wow. but at that price point do you guys want to have a guess how many pence worth of liquid you get well, very small, I'm guessing. <laughs> I don't know, 24p? Yeah, well, not, not far away. It's, it's less than 40p anyway. Oh, yeah. So you could spend the average, which is about 580, and get less than 40 pence worth of liquid. Um, that's bad value. Yeah. Most of that money is going towards uh, excise duty, VAT, retailer margin, transport, that sort of thing. Um, so if you spend £9, £10, there's a real sweet spot of quality between about 9 and £14, you get eight, nine, ten pounds, well, depending on how much you're spending, you get a lot more value for money because you get a lot more value in the liquid. I want to come back to what you mentioned about pesticides because I know that grapes um, are among the crops mm. or fruits that are most sprayed or treated with chemicals mm. of all vegetables and fruit. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's going to leave residues in the wine. So um, you say that when you work with uh, smaller producers, when it's a smaller scale production, there is often less... Pesticides, is that what you're saying? Yes, and in, and indeed other chemicals that you can add in during the winemaking process, not just growing the grapes, but also then back in the winery. Um, there's a list of about 30 chemicals you're allowed to use in the winery, and you'll find the smaller producers, they try to use as little of all of that as possible. A, because those materials all cost money, um, but B, because they have an effect, a material effect on the wine at the end of the day. So um, a lot of our producers are, are either certified organic or work organically, which obviously vastly reduces that list of mm -hmm. pesticides and then chemicals they're allowed to use. But as I say, all those guys working organically, they may not have been through the long certification process, yeah. but they work in a way that um, tries to make the vineyard do its thing naturally, and then they do as little as possible to the grapes in the winery so that the end flavour of the wine is as natural as it should be if you like mm -hmm. um, and that's a key thing but obviously with big big volume players um, you're looking for continuity and it's almost impossible to do that and they'll throw everything they're allowed to at it you'll find things that the, the preservative sulfur dioxide people are starting to ask questions about why it says contains sulfites on the back of a bottle um, sulfur dioxide is produced naturally during fermentation so you always get a tiny bit but legally you're allowed to add an extra 150 grams per litre as a preservative if, if you want to um, most of our producers don't use anywhere near that amount, but wines that are destined to bulk fill shelves and sit on supermarket shelves for a long time, they will use those sorts of preservatives a lot more as well. Is that why people get headaches as well because of these? It's one of the reasons. Reason. Alcohol is the main reason, but yeah. it, is, it, it is one of <laughs> the... Blame the it, yeah, it, it, is, it, is, it is partially the reason, but mm -hmm. overconsumption of alcohol is bound to give you a headache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, 
Go looking around your, your shop, it's clear you've, you sell much more than wine. Mm. Do, do you want to tell us a bit about your, your range, what you do sell? We also sell a range of craft beers, mostly local beers, but also some famous names from further afield. But we do a lot with local breweries. There's 15 microbreweries in Horsham District alone. That um, is incredible. And they're all quite new, aren't they? Yeah, there's lots of relatively new ones. And, and they're producing some amazing beers. Likewise with spirits, we've got a large spirit range focused on gin and whiskey, um, but growing range of rums, tequilas and liqueurs as well and brandies and, and armagnacs and the like but the gin bubble still hasn't even reached max capacity yet um, we've got a, a fantastic little micro distillery here in Horsham and further afield there's well, I mean, we stock another four or five from around Sussex there's some fantastic distilleries in London our gin collection then heads out up to Scotland and then off to uh, Spain, Canada, Australia um, so we've got a wide selection but locally we're producing some amazing things um, whiskey wise most of our ranges ha- hails from Scotland but we've also got some American Irish Japanese New Zealand whiskies as well yeah. what's your best seller um, from spirits or anything yeah wow maybe each cast maybe each, each category, category yeah. yeah it depends what we've what we've we, we in the shop and myself and my wife and, and, and Heather um, we taste everything before it's listed so we know what it's like so Something that's hot in any particular month might be something we've recently tasted and got excited about ourselves. We always find we talk about things we we like. But I'd say from in the reds, we've got a fantastic Cote d'Aron we, we launched only about six months ago. Gold medal winning from a small family producer. It's just classic Cote d'Aron. Bold fruit flavours, but silky smooth. Um, white-wise, uh, we've got some interesting Sauvignon Blanc from the Loire Valley, which is probably one of our best sellers at the minute. Rosé Provence just doesn't slow down. Our best-selling gin is the Horsham Spirit from Cabin Pressure here in Horsham. Okay. Uh, and a portion of the proceeds go to local charities as well. So it's a oh, great good. project. Whiskey-wise, um, probably the Isle of Arran whiskies are our best sellers. Beers, locally, um, on the traditional side, we um, we do very well with Harvey's, sell lots of Harvey's. On the more craft side, uh, Bestons and Fibre are the top sellers for us. Um, and again, they're all Sussex-based. Do we have, would you say that Sussex, or and Horsham specifically, is, is well served for, um, or do we have a sort of higher percentage of, of local drinks producers? Um, for wine, definitely. I didn't even touch on the local wine just then, but we, as I think I said at the beginning, we're producing some of the best, certainly sparkling wine, more and more so still white wines particularly in the world. Um, and there's a large concentration of vineyards around Horsham. Um, we've got the ideal soil and climatic conditions right sort of across Sussex and then west into Hampshire east into into Kent there's some good producers in Surrey um, further afield in, in Essex and Cornwall as well but um, there's a large concentration of vineyards in in Sussex so I'd say we're probably on a par with other areas for beers and spirits um, wine wise however though we are blessed with stunning producers and uh, we've dedicated a whole column to English still and sparkling wines now yeah a lot of people talk about that and I I actually wanted to make the comparison with champagne because that's sometimes made and then if you're French then you're going to scream loudly <laughs> probably but um, how can southern England sparkling wines compare to champagnes mm. and those really high quality French wines yeah. for instance firstly I think it's important to say that we have our very own distinctive style here in England um, the top producers now aren't it, we're not trying to beat champagne in any way there's lots of competitions that have um, happened in the wine trade lots of blind tasting competitions and it's always nice when the English sparklers beat the champagnes in those competitions but the key is to understand that there's a slight difference in style um, but quality wise our best sparklers are more than comparable to the best from champagne um, we have a cool climate here in England it's not always easy to ripen grapes so as a result you get good acidity 
um, sparkling wines that can age for many years. So over the aging process, you get lots of complexity as well. Um, and you end up with um, incredibly elegant and sophisticated styles of sparkling wine, as I say, which have that have their own style. Um, we've got some new producers in England now trying to do different things. Um, a Boco by House Corrin, which is uh, Sussex's newest sparkling. It's our newest um, English wine to join the range. Made intentionally in a different way, more fruit forward. Um, sort of tastes like a classic sort of English fruit salad almost, you know, peach, pear, apples. It's fantastic. Um, but made it in an intentionally different way for sort of aperitif and party drinking, that sort of thing. And really good value as a result. Um, but the likes of Nightimber, um, uh, Roebuck down near Petworth, uh, Ashland Park in Chichester, they're producing some sparkling wines which um, are more than comparable to the best from France. How about reds? Is it mainly whites that work well for this climate? Or yeah, definitely. Our climate struggles with red. There's a few reds out there which work. I mean, we, we stock a Pinot Noir from Davenport, which is an organic vineyard. It's really difficult to grow grapes organically in England, but Will Davenport does it amazingly. And his, his Pinot Noir, personally, is the best still English red I've tried. We tend to produce those lighter style wines. Um, uh, there's a few Germanic grape varieties that do well here in England as well, Dornfelder and the like, but it makes up a small percentage of wines we produce. Um, I think the bulk is now sparkling. Um, mm. There's a lot of still white, one more still rosé as well. Uh, white wine-wise, one of the grapes you see more and more is Bacchus, which is England's Sauvignon Blanc. It's crisp and aromatic, quite citrusy with like an elderflower twist to it. It's really interesting. We do Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc very well in this country as well. Do you find that they sell quite well, English wines here, or do you still have to... People are still kind of a, a little bit reticent to, no, in, to in, commit. In Horsham, the news has more than firmly landed. Now, <laughs> um, I think um, we've got a we've got a really interesting range of champagnes. If I take the sparkling comparison, we've got an interesting range of champagnes from small family growers. Um, and although we've got some fantastic champagnes, English sparkling for us outsell champagne ten to one. I think it's not unique to Horsham, but um, customers really had the willingness to try it. And they've loved it, and they're coming back to it. So we get amazing repeat purchases of English wines particularly Sussex sparklers here. Yeah, a lot of people just, uh, there's this general conscience, mm. I think now that you want to buy local and mm. also the pride, people are quite proud to have such good wines um, from the area, I think, in general. But um, one thing I'm really curious about is trends, and um, particularly natural wine. So I'm from Sweden, mm. and that was just a big thing in Sweden before mm. I moved here. Served in a lot of trendy restaurants, and but you can't compare natural wines with any other wines, right? And I'm, I'd like to hear your view on natural wines and explain a bit what they are. That's another great question. We have we have a good number of natural wines, um, white, red, rosé and sparkling here in the shop. It's a tricky category because there's no legal definition to it. Whereas if you're to certify wine as organic, you have to have gone through a seven year certification process. You have to prove you, use, you don't use certain things and you do do other things. Um, Natural wines is currently is more of a concept. The concept being minimal intervention. Um, so it's an understanding really that you you won't use any of the chemicals that you're allowed to use. Um, you might go really into it um, biodynamically as well and sort of plant your vineyard according to the phases of the moon oh, and things okay. like that. Um, so the natural category is is vast, and there's there's everything from using minimal intervention to really embracing the whole natural biodynamic um, sector if you like, but the, the result is because there's no sort of real definition to it you do get lots of different styles as well and natural wines can if you don't use sulfur dioxide as a preservative for example you have to do other things to keep oxygen out of your wine and if you don't you can end up with like a nutty almost bruised apple oxidized character and some folk 
particularly sorry in sort of hipster restaurants in in London um, find that character attractive um, it's essentially it's a fault in wine I mean I, we, we the natural wines we list here we desperately strive to find clean wines not oxidized wines okay, so yeah. we love the concept of working with minimal intervention you know let the grapes grow as naturally as they can and then make the wine with as little input as possible that's when you end up with real distinctive character and flavor but those wines have to be for me personally and for us as a team they have to be clean and non-oxidized as well yeah um, and I guess it's hard to get that consistency so you, you might get one batch that's made and then the next one won't be the yeah, same ab- absolutely that's very true consistency is, is tricky and continuity in the bottle as well we've changed quite a few of the natural wines because after launch I remember listing quite a lot of them on the back of a trade tasting I went to but you know three months down the line those wines are totally changed in bottle and we can't have that I mean we we tend to turn wines over quickly anyway relatively quickly but you don't want a wine which is going to turn from stunning into almost unpalatable in, in three months because the customer might not have had a chance yeah. to drink it. By yeah. um, so we, we've we've adapted, we've changed our natural range based on wanting to work with those wines which have all those um, philosophies but still end up with a clean, correct and consistent mm. wine at the end. I remember the one, the natural wine. I think the first time I ever tried natural wine in a restaurant in Sweden and did not taste at all like wine, how, how wine usually tastes. Yeah. I liked it, but it had a completely different flavour. Yeah. There's, there's, like, there's like a funkiness to it, isn't there? Almost like, yeah, like a nutty, bruised, apple funkiness. Um, yeah, and something you do, like that. And you don't want that character through all of your wines, no. um, personally, I don't mm. think. In terms of trends for now, you know, we're coming up towards Christmas. Mm-hmm. What are the drinks that we should be having, um, we should be getting for, ready for the mm. Christmas season, maybe? Um, well, anything you get your hands on if the uh, lorry driver shortage <laughs> continues, but no, I'm kidding. Um, yes, a thoroughly advocating panic buying of wine. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, wine is very seasonal, actually, and um, we see it here quite acutely. In the summer, we sell a lot more white and rosé. Um, and in the autumn and winter, we sell a lot more red. It's really seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, heading into autumn, sort of nice earthy reds that go with your slow-cooked dishes and your casseroles are amazing. Heading into winter and certainly into Christmas, um, styles that work with roasts, you know, particularly things you might be having around the Christmas table, um, are things we'll be recommending. But people's tastes do change with the seasons. Yeah, and you should always think when you buy wine or other beverages, what you're going to have it with. Mm-hmm. That's important, isn't it? It is. And... Um, that's actually one of the questions we'll always ask. If you're looking for something but you don't know what you're looking for, um, we'll tend to ask, do you tend to like to drink wine on its own or with food or both? Because there are some wines which are kind of made in a way which kind of only really suits drinking with food. Yeah, the food and wine matching or food and drinks matching I find fascinating. And, you know, it's it's difficult. Certain dishes just won't lend themselves well to wine, like curry. What would you recommend um, to go with Indian food? Because it's tricky isn't it it is there's not many wines that work with spice generally but I'd head down the route of a uh, of a slightly off dry white wine so something like a Riesling with a little bit of off dry character if it's Indian based curry uh, if it's Thai uh, or Indonesian which is more floral and fragrant I'd go down the route of a Gewürztraminer Mm -hmm. something which tastes a bit like lemongrass itself Mm. Mm. yeah I love Mm. Gewürz and uh, you also sell some interesting non-alcoholic drinks for those people who don't drink alcohol right we have searched long and hard for some good examples of of, um, non-alcoholic wine and beer there's not many examples out there to be brutal sadly um we still haven't found a red wine that works if you're taking so much away you end up with something kind of flabby and sweet and just tastes worse than actually just buying grape juice if you know what i mean we found a stunning white wine though and a really good sparkling wine both made from riesling actually both from the same producer um ernie in germany and 
Riesling lends itself quite well to removing the alcohol from because it's naturally lower alcohol to start with. So you're not taking so much away and it's got a decent amount of fruit and high acidity. So all those things mean the structure remains the same. So our, our still no alcohol white Riesling tastes like a really nice glass of wine. Yeah. Um, we've got a range of non-alcoholic beers as well. The beer category have been doing better for longer than wine have. So we've yeah, got a longer... this has happened a lot mm. since I was pregnant. Yes, <laughs> we've got a larger range of non-alcoholic beers, different styles from lager through IPA to sort of um, dark best bitters. Um, there's a couple of decent spirits out there as well. Um, there's a famous brand called Seedlip. We don't actually stock it but because um, uh, you can find it everywhere, but that's a good non-alcoholic gin. Mm. Um, something we do sell there is um, something called bitters which is in its own right is alcoholic but you only put four or five drops into a drink mm. and you can put four or five drops into a plain tonic water and it makes it feel like a G&T oh, um, nice. with sort of negligible alcohol at the end oh that's interesting mm. you can add those to cocktails yeah, and, 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 and you like tend to add them to cocktails but if you just add them to a tonic water you feel like you've got a G&T yeah that's oh, mm. so good to know yeah. good tip mm. um, just I, um, I wanted to ask you you offer wine tasting here. Yeah, so we've got two ways of tasting wine here at the shop. Thankfully, we're licensed for drinking on the premises. Um, all the time we're open, we've got a wine sampling machine it's at the back of the shop. It's a fantastic bit of kit that keeps wine in perfect condition for up to three weeks. We tend to change the range every week anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But um, it, we've got a big um, argon gas tank that keeps the wine in good, good condition. Three whites, three reds. As I say, we change the range every week, um, but we tend to put interesting, quirky, often premium things in there that you can come in and from ATP ago try six different wines a week mm. um, we've got an area at the back of the shop where you can sit and you get a card you put some credit on it you can use it as little or as often as you like um, and we tell you about the wines in the machine um, that's proved really popular uh, it's a great way of just trying little amounts of wines regularly and sort of building your the memory the flavour memory I was talking about before uh, the other thing we do are organised events which are down here in our tasting room where we're sat now we were doing two a month uh, pre-COVID on a certain theme we kicked off again last week um, we've just advertised out three nights for the rest of this year they sold out in hours because there was so so much demand for it which is great but we've got a champagne tasting coming up uh, a hidden gems of Europe tasting and uh, a wines for Christmas themed tasting mm-hmm. um, but we do that downstairs after the shop's closed we do that downstairs in our basement tasting room shoulder to shoulder around a big old oak table it's a very social atmosphere yeah oh, that sounds, yeah that's that what we're sitting it's very yeah. sunny so for those people that still claim that they didn't know you existed mm. remind remind us where you are in Horsham uh, where the shop is so we are in the middle of the Carfax behind the bus stops near the bandstand so yeah, definitely um, I just encourage people to come and have a chat obviously mm. you can hear Luke's very friendly and uh, very knowledgeable, knowledgeable yes. yeah well, thanks very much, Luke, for inviting us along to, to talk to you in your shop. It's been great. We've um, learned lots. Thanks for coming, guys. It's um, been great to talk all things wines, business, spirits with you. Thank you for listening to Sounding Out Horsham. If you have feedback on this episode or would like to suggest future topics for us to cover or people for us to speak to, you can reach us on social media via Twitter at SO Horsham or Facebook. Just search for Sounding Out Horsham. Or you can email us at sohorsham at gmail.com. That's the letters sohorsham at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed listening and want to support what we do, we'd also love to get a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure you're following us so you don't miss our next episode.